Can we say amen to that? That was awesome. When I get up here to read scripture, I always have to keep my Bible in my hand when we're worshiping because our worship team does such a great job. I get caught up in worship and then I'm like, well, which song are we on? Oh, yeah, I've got to read scripture. So I keep my Bible in my hand to do both. We worship God in song and we worship him in his word. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 14. We're in Psalm 14. If you need a Bible, take the Pew Bible and you can turn to page 534. And if you need that Bible, take that Bible with you because we want to be people of the Word. Psalm 14. To the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers? who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come and we see the folly of the fool in this passage, but Lord, help us to see ourselves as well. Whether there are those here who are lost in are living as if there is no God each day. We as your people have to confess that we perhaps have lived that same way this past week. Lord, it is easy to be tempted to live as if you are far away and we are large and in charge of our own lives. May you use the preaching of your word to pierce our hearts this morning. Let us see you for who you are so that we can see ourselves for who we are. And Lord, may we repent of foolishness and trust wholly in who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to keep your Bibles open there to Psalm chapter 14 as we continue in our summer series in the Psalms, a series that we began back in Psalm chapter 9, and we are progressing right along here, and we are turning our attention to the folly of the fool here in Psalm 14. You might be wondering, well, what is a fool exactly? And the dictionary defines fool this way, as a person who acts unwisely or imprudently, a silly person. One who lacks judgment or prudence. It's someone who keeps making bad decisions. And I think, for the most part, you would agree with those definitions of the fool. Benjamin Franklin, he said it this way. Any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. 
My favorite definition, uh, well, not one of my favorites, but I do like this one, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anybody? He actually said something about this. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? And then I think Mark Twain said it best. I was young and foolish then. Now I'm just older and foolisher. And perhaps you can relate to that. But if truth be told, pretty much all of us here, we have our own opinions of a fool. But Psalm 14 shatters any and all stereotypes that we might have of what a fool is. In fact, Psalm 14 gives us God's perspective of a fool. And God gives us a perspective of the fool that that will challenge not just how we see the folly of other people, but more importantly, how we see the folly of ourselves. And here's what we see in this chapter of Psalms. Psalm 14, notice it in your notes coming up on the screen, that only a fool denies there is a God. David writes from the very beginning of this chapter in verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So a little bit of a, a background here. The book of Psalms actually begins with a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And you can read all about that contrast. It begins in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 sets the stage for the whole book of Psalms. And so you find repeatedly two groups of people that are often referred to in the Psalms. You have the righteous and you have the wicked. And there are contrasts here that appears throughout the Psalms and one that we have actually seen here in Psalms chapter 9 through 13 in our series. The focus of Psalm 14 is obviously on on the wicked here, but in a way that reveals what it means to live as a fool. Now, when David talks about the fool, he's in a way talking about the atheist who says in his heart there is no God. But, But don't confuse this. He's not talking necessarily about the theoretical atheist or even the intellectual atheist. He's talking specifically uh, more about the the practical atheist. So he's not describing this dogmatic person who's making a declaration against the existence of God. Rather, he's describing the practical atheist who lives as if there is no God. So in its simplest forms, we might even describe or define atheism this way. It's, It's simply a worldview by which one lives. It's a worldview that says there is no God, and they live as if there is no God. They live from that perspective, that perspective there is no God. And this form of atheism is widely prevalent in our culture today. And what this means is that the vast majority of humanity are classified, at least from the perspective of God here in Psalm 14, as fools. In other words, the vast majority of the human race simply lives as if there isn't a God. And as a result, their way of living, their life is corrupt and wicked, as we will see here in this chapter. This also means that Psalm 14 is actually one of the strongest passages in the Bible about the the sinfulness of of mankind or, or the depravity of the human race. And yet, There is also another group of people in this chapter. You may have caught it when Pastor Chris read it for us here. 
that is called the righteous. It's referred to as God is with the generation of the righteous. And the righteous here are simply a group of people who, by the grace of God, they have now entered into a relationship with God through faith and now have been been declared righteous by God. And the question that this psalm poses for us is this. Which group are you in? Are are you part of the, the wicked? That is, are you a wicked fool? Are you part of the generation of the righteous? Are you a righteous saint? And what's interesting is that this psalm is actually repeated in Scripture two more times to make sure that we as God's people, we are paying attention to it, that we don't skip over this, that that we actually take notice of what God is saying here in this psalm. In fact, Psalm 14 is repeated by David himself in Psalm 53 in its entirety, almost word for word, with only a few minor changes. And the most important part of this psalm here is repeated in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. You say, now why is that such a big deal? Well, think about it. The Bible is a rather big book. 66 books compiled into one book. And not many things in the Bible are said word for word more than once. So when words are repeated in Scripture, it's for emphasis. It wants to get our attention and tell us and alert us, this is super important. Pay attention to it. And so when God speaks once, listen, we should all listen. But when God speaks twice, we should be sure to listen and even remember it. And when God speaks three different times on the same issue, we should not only listen, but we should take his words to heart. We should ponder them and never let them go. And that's what I want us to do this morning. So let's dive in and discover the folly of the fool here in Psalm 14. And what we see here in the first point is that the fool rejects the reality of God. In fact, this Hebrew word for fool is rather interesting. It's the word Nabal. Nabal. It's a word that implies aggressive perversity, and it's actually epitomized in the Nabal, a person by the name of Nabal, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. If there is a backstory to this psalm here in Psalm 14, Nabal, Nabal may be it, for he personifies the fool here in Psalm 14. Now, you know, it makes me wonder. I don't know what his parents were thinking when they named him Nabal, which means fool. Uh, Perhaps it was simply a nickname that he earned over time. We don't know. Anyway, Nabal had a very beautiful wife. Some of you may remember this by the name of Abigail. And to make a very long story short, Nabal actually lived up to his name when he caused David, who was at that time a man of God. God had appointed him already uh, to be the king over Israel. And he caused David a whole lot of grief and his men. And so God struck him dead, and David ended up taking Abigail, Abigail as his wife. David defines a fool now as someone who simply says in his heart, there is no God. The word fool does not mean someone who's dumb. It doesn't mean someone who's stupid. In fact, as the word is used in the Bible, a fool may be somebody who is actually quite intelligent. 
well-educated, very articulate, and, and probably many times even very likable. And that makes him all the more dangerous to himself and to others. The chief characteristic of the fool, according to God's, what he says here in Psalm 14, is his heartfelt decision to live as if there is no God. To live a, a godless life, in other words. In the Bible, it even tells us in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then listen to what else it says. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that's why David here talks about the heart when it comes to the fool's rejection of God. Notice the fool's rejection. It's a heart problem, not an intellectual problem. The fool's rejection of God is a heart issue. It's a heart problem. The Nabal fool has a moral problem, in other words, in the heart, not a mental problem in the head. In our psalm, the fool speaks where? He speaks in his heart. The heart is the, is the controlling center of a person. The heart, uh, when, it, when we, the Bible refers to it in this way, it's, it's the thinking part of who you are. It's the part that makes decisions and defines us as a person. And so when the fool says in his heart, hey, there is no God, that creed is what drives his thinking and drives his living, his behavior. In other words, it's in his heart the fool chooses to do something. And in this case, he chooses to reject God and chooses to reject God's rule over his life. In other words, he's living as if there is no God. Therefore, God doesn't matter to the fool. Fools don't think they need God. Fools don't even want God. They, they want to live their lives the way they please. Now, please understand, the fool is not a helpless victim, though. The fool knowingly and consciously commits himself to this life apart from God, a life without God. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, describes this thought process in Romans chapter 1. If you want to turn there, you can. We're going to read. I want to read to you what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 here, verses 18 through 23. And listen to what Paul says, or follow along if you want to turn there. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So according to Paul here in Romans 1, fools actually see the majesty of God. They see the glory of God in the world through his creation. And they suppress the truth of this evidence. And they are fools because of it. They're fools because... They refuse to 
honor God, to acknowledge God, to live by his ways, even though they know he exists. And Paul says, listen, we know he exists through creation and through our conscience. The fool says, I don't care. I'm going to suppress that truth. I'm going to live as if God doesn't exist. Someone once asked the agnostic British philosopher Bertrand Russell what he would say if, when he died, he suddenly found himself standing before God. And Russell replied, you did not give us sufficient evidence. But Paul says otherwise. As A.F. Kirkpatrick writes, God made himself known through the voice of conscience and in the works of creation, but men would not follow the light of conscience or read the book of, or nature. So you find as well a, a, a very thumb sketch, a thumbnail sketch of a Nabal fool in Isaiah 32, verse 6, where the prophet Isaiah says, For fools speak folly. Their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. And so it's clear that the mark of a fool, it's not intellectual deficiency. That's not the issue. That's not the problem. But rather, it's aggressive ungodliness that, that comes forth out of a heart that has chosen to reject God. And this aggressive ungodliness has consequences to it. We read this when David writes in verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then notice what else David says about them. He lists three things. He says they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And there is none who does good. And so understand when people, when humanity, perhaps even some of us here, when, when we suppress the knowledge of God, when we we then open the door to all sorts of ungodliness, to all sorts of sinfulness, what the Bible will refer to as all sorts of depravity. And David, here in Psalm 14, he actually lists three of those dimensions of the corruption of the fool. In fact, that's the very first one. It's, he goes to the character of the fool here. And David says they are corrupt. They're corrupt in their heart or in their character. And so what proceeds from the heart of the fool is this moral perversion or corruption. This word corrupt that David uses, it, it means rotten. It's the idea of putrid or decayed. It's this inner effect of what happens when you deny God and live as if God doesn't exist. And their corruption is infectious. In other words, not only are they corrupt, but, but now they corrupt other people who are associating with them, which is why the psalmist tells us in Psalm chapter 1, don't, don't associate with them. Don't sit, don't walk, don't live in, with them. All right? If you have a bag of apples and one of those apples is bad, what's going to happen? The rot will spread to other apples. And in the same way, when men and women turn their backs on God, their corruption eventually spreads to others. And so the character of the fool, the first thing David says here is they are corrupt. Notice the behavior of the fool. David says they do abominable deeds. This is their conduct. This is their behavior. And so David is now describing the actions that flow from the fool's corrupt heart. Fools refuse to accept the fact that they are, in other words, accountable to God. 
And as a result, they, they do all sorts of perverse things. They, they think to themselves, well, listen, if there's no God, then why not just do what I want? Why not live the way I want? So the way we behave for everyone, the way you and I behave is ultimately rooted in what we believe about God Almighty. Because without God, there is nothing to hold us back from just plunging into all sorts of wicked deeds, just living however we want to do. In fact, one person put it this way, atheism bears its proper fruit in rotten conduct. And that's exactly what David is telling us here in Psalm 14. And then he tells us the extent of the fool. Here, number three, when David says there is none who does good. The Bible reminds us, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Paul himself says in Romans 7, 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me. And David says here in Psalm 14, there is none who does good. Now think about that for a moment, because what that means is that the best things that the best of us here do is still tainted by selfishness and sin. And so even, even the good deeds that unbelievers do in society are not really truly, quote, good in God's sight. Why? Because they're not done to the glory of God. You know, you wonder, can this all be true? I mean, it seems all just a bit pessimistic here. I mean, is it possible that all humanity denies God? And, and, and as David says, there is none who does good. I mean, notice what God does, though, in verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. So, so here's what's happening. Here's what David says. Metaphorically speaking, God conducts this survey. He conducts a survey of planet Earth where he looks down to see if anyone has the sense to seek him. After all, God made us. He gives us everything, life and breath, brains and brawn, homes and health, friends and family, sunrises and sunsets, groceries and gravity. So the question becomes, will we now snub this God who gives us everything? He has told us how to live so that we can find joy and satisfaction in this life. But will we listen to him? Will we follow him? Or are we fools who live as if God doesn't exist? So what does God find when he inspects planet Earth? When he looks down on humanity, what do you think he finds? Verse 3 tells us. Look at it. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So the Lord's inspection, here's his conclusion. God looks down on humanity and finds all are corrupted by sin. And by the way, there is no way of overturning this verdict by God. God himself the creator, the all-powerful one, has checked it out. He has done his work. He has been diligent, and he's checked it out thoroughly and finds what? 
all humanity is corrupted by sin. Now, what's interesting, this is not the first time the Bible talks about God looking down to see humanity's corruption. You go to the book of Genesis, and God looked down on this world, on humanity, to inspect humanity three different times. You can read about it in Genesis 6, Genesis 11, Genesis 18. And what we find is that Psalm 14 sounds a lot like the beginning of the flood, where the same word corrupt occurs three different times there in Genesis 6 when God looked down on humanity. And, of course, as a result of that, what did God do? He judged the world with a flood, saving Noah and his family. And then God also looked down and saw humanity's sin. Later on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 11, they're at the Tower of Babel. And then God came down to investigate the sin of, of Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed those cities with fire and sulfur in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. And notably, God's indictment of humanity's corruption here in Psalm 14, it is universal. It, it is, it's all-inclusive. And so don't miss the categorical language that God uses here. He says all, together, none. God's findings are all-inclusive. Everyone has turned away from God. Together, we all are corrupted by sin. There is none who does what is truly good, at least according to God's standard of good. Now, we can paint the picture of a fool, and sometimes we do this. I'm sure we all have at one time or another, where we paint the picture of a fool as the neighbor that I live next to. We paint the picture of the fool as a coworker I have to work with, maybe my boss, maybe it's the person that sits next to me, or whatever the case may be. Maybe the, the student I go to school with, I sit on the bus next to. But the truth of the matter is, the person I see in the mirror is the fool I know best. What's, what's interesting here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually used Psalm 14 to make his case that both Jews and Gentiles, and when he says both Jews and Gentiles, when Paul uses that language, he is meaning all of humanity. So Paul makes the case in Romans that all humanity is corrupted by the power of sin. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless, and there is no one who does good, not even one. And so the fool rejects the reality of God, but in reality, the whole human race consists of fools or nabals because we are all guilty of playing the fool. As one commentator writes, the fool is not a rare subspecies within the human race. All human beings are fools apart from the wisdom of God. And James Boyce adds this, Left to ourselves, our minds run to utter foolishness, and we act the fool too. But in Christ, here's our hope, in Christ we find a wisdom from God which is able to save us and lead us in the way of righteousness. You see, the problem is not that there's not enough religion in this world. 
Many people are religious, but they don't want the God of the Bible, the one true living God. Many people reject the real God by multiplying false gods. But religious activity that does not come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is an active denial of the one true God. And by definition, that is the essence of atheism. And so God's conclusion here through David here in Psalm 14 is that all of humanity, every one of us here this morning, apart from His saving grace in Jesus Christ, we behave as practical atheists. So the folly of the fool we learn, first of all, it rejects the reality of God. But his folly doesn't stop. It continues. Number two, the fool goes on and he troubles the people of God. You see, committed to a life without God, the fool not only rejects the reality of God, but now he opposes the people of God. He troubles the people of God. The fool is blind to the judgment that is hanging over his life. And so now they live as if nothing's going to happen. But we see here in verses 4 through 6, the fool's devastating ignorance in his terrifying miscalculation. Notice the miscalculation here in your notes. In spiritual ignorance, the fool acts wickedly toward God's people. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But notice what God says in verse 4. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? In other words, if you want to see where the, the folly of the fool works itself out, where their ignorance of God and they're turning away from him, works itself out in life, God says, look what happens to my people. Evildoers eat up my people like they eat bread. What, what, what does that even mean? Well, eating bread, when David uses this terminology, it's a, it's a graphic word picture that David is using to describe how the wicked feeds on the people of God. In other words, the world swallows up the people of God and they think no more of it than just scarfing down their lunch. In other words, they don't think twice about it. For the wicked, devouring God's people is it's a casual thing. In fact, it's a daily occurrence because daily we eat. We eat our bread. And sadly, Psalm 14 is still very, very current. The people of God are continually being swallowed up by wicked people. In fact, biblical historians say that we are living in the worst time of persecution in the history of the Christian church. We may not feel that so much here in America, but across the world they are. In the first century, Christians huddled in the catacombs in Rome out of fear of being persecuted by the governing authorities in Rome. And we're now on the scale that trumps even that. You go to countries like in the Middle East, East Asia, North Africa, North Korea, and there is massive wholesale persecution of Christians simply 
for acknowledging and believing in Jesus Christ and living for Jesus Christ. And God says, that's what happens when people turn their backs on me. The first place it shows up is a hatred toward and a hostility toward the people of God. But don't miss what else God says about the fool here. He says the chief characteristic of those who reject God is they don't call on his name. Now that is interesting. Because God says that that is actually the chief characteristic of the godly line of Seth in Genesis chapter 4 at the end of that chapter. In fact, according to verse 26, the chief characteristic of the godly line of Seth, that is his family, is that they called upon the name of the Lord in acknowledging God, in praising God, in praying to God, in living for God. And now we see here in Psalm 14 that the opposite is true of the wicked. They refuse to call on the Lord. And so instead of praising God, Instead of praying to God, these wicked fools pray on the godly, on God's people. But these fools have made a very terrifying miscalculation in their judgment. Notice number two, when God shows his allegiance to the generation of the righteous, the fool will be gripped with terror. You see, the wicked who trouble God's people meet with something that they had not counted on. And that these seemingly helpless people have a defender in God himself. David writes in verses 5 through 6, look at it, notice it with me. There they are in great terror. And who's the they there? He's talking about the fools. For God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Now, why are the wicked so terrified here in this moment? Because they, all of a sudden, they now discover that God is with his people. That God is with the generation of the righteous. And he's going to to punish those who reject him, those who trouble his people. And apparently, they didn't see the sign that read, Beware of the sheep. Because what David is telling us here, you touch God's people and you find yourself sooner or later having to deal with the shepherd of the sheep. So make no mistake about it, when it finally dawns on the foolish that they have mistreated the people of God, they will be terrified with the terror of God's judgment that will fall on them. So yes, the presence of God terrifies the wicked, but don't miss this. He is a refuge for his people. We have seen that over and over in our study of the Psalms here. And that is good news for God's people then, in David's time, but also now, even for us. Listen, why? Because though the the poor in context, when David refers to the poor here, in context, what's view here is is primarily the material poor, but in application, what's also in view is those who are are in poor in spirit and persecuted, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you look at the world and you ask, man, what is going on in this world? Why do the wicked seem to be winning? What's happening here, especially to God's people? Because it looks like everything is falling apart and the wicked are winning. And we want to say, God, where are you in this moment here? 
In the history of your church now, where are you? What are you doing? And we find hope here in Psalm 14. David is reminding us that the Lord is a refuge for his people. And so when it looks like things are falling apart, when you cry out for justice, and when you wonder where God is, God says, listen, I am here. I am not ambivalent. I am not oblivious to what's going on. I'm not sleeping on the world. I'm not taking a nap. I see what's going on. I am diligent to look down on this world. I am here and I am your refuge. I am with the generation of the righteous. So do not give up on God when everything seems to be falling apart. Do not forget who God is. He is the sovereign judge of the world, as we have seen in Psalm 9. When wicked fools trouble the wicked, remember, God is with who? He's with the generation of the righteous. God is our refuge. God will protect his own people, and God will eventually judge this world. So the folly of the fool. First of all, he rejects the reality of God. And then the troubles, the people of God. And as a result, number three, the fool ultimately disregards the salvation of God. Whereas those who know God, that is the people of God, we long to see him. And we long for his salvation to come. Listen, the fool wants nothing to do with God. And so he disregards his salvation that is offered to humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. The fool thinks he can make it in life without God. I'm doing just fine without God. Why do I need to submit to him? He doesn't need God. He doesn't think he needs God's salvation. And the tragic reality is that those who reject God in this lifetime will spend eternity apart from God in the next life, and they will then be on, honestly be able to say, there's no God here. Because they will be in torment in hell, where there will be no God. While the generation of the righteous is in heaven, in glory, in the new creation, the new heavens, with God, dwelling with him for all eternity. But David, and that's what he longs for here, he longs for what the fool rejects what the fool disregards. Notice the righteous longing. The righteous long for the great day of salvation to come. David ends with this beautiful prayer of hope here in verse 7. Look at it with me. Where he says, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. I just love this verse. David looks at the wickedness around him, and yet he knows that the only hope for Israel is the salvation of his God. So what does David do? He cries out to God. He makes his request and his longing known to God. It is simply this, Lord, bring your salvation. Let it come. Give us a reason to be glad. Give us a reason to rejoice. Reverse the fortunes of your people and send us salvation. 
Now, when he refers to Zion, you're like, what is Zion? Some of you may know Zion is actually God's holy hill. And we'll, we'll look at this more in Psalm 15 next Sunday. Zion is God's holy hill in the city of Jerusalem. It's where God's presence dwelt in David's day and the place where God has established his king. And ultimately, salvation for all humanity came from where? It did come out of Zion. David, at this time, was the king in Zion. But it was from his line that who came? Jesus, the Messiah, came. And so when David prays for salvation to come from Zion, he is longing for the Messiah, the king whom God has set over all the nations. You can read about that in Psalm chapter 2. That's what Psalm 2 is all about. It's beautiful. And what's interesting is that the name Jesus actually comes from this word salvation. In the Christmas story, when Jesus was born, he was given the name Jesus because he would do what? Jesus came and he would save his people from their sins, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And I can't help but think that when Jesus, when he was here on earth and he read this psalm, Psalm 14, he was saying, yes, yes, I have come. I am the Savior of my people. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate answer to David's longing for salvation here. And all of this brings us to one very important question. I'll phrase the question this way. What's your bio? In Facebook terms, we might ask, what's your profile? And by the way, everyone here this morning has a profile. Everyone has a bio. Now, on Facebook, as you know, you can post all the good stuff about you on your profile page. And only the good stuff. And you can hide all the bad stuff about you, which most people do. I don't know too many people that I'm friends with that, that publish and post all their bad stuff. When, when families go on vacation, they post their family vacation photos. Do you ever see the kids fighting with one another? That picture posted Nobody posts that. You're on the beach and the kids, ah! Joyous vacation on the beach, kids fighting. Nobody posts that. We hide all that stuff on Facebook in our profiles and what we post. But there's no hiding our profile from God. Listen, our God knows who we are. And so here's our, our live it out lesson from Psalm chapter 14. And it's this question that I already posed to you. What's your bio? What's your profile? Are you a fool who lives as if there is no God? Or are you part of the generation of the righteous redeemed by Jesus Christ? And here's the deal. Listen to me. All of us here this morning are born, get this, with the same bio or profile. I don't care what you have posted on your Facebook account, your Instagram account. You know, I, I could care less what you have posted on social media. Every one of us here this morning, we are born with the exact same bio and profile. And that profile is this. We, me, we 
are the fool here in Psalm 14. We, we live as if there is no God. That's, that's our profile coming out of the womb from our mothers. The moment we are born, that is our profile. You don't believe me? Read what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul states it this way. He says in verse 1 that we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, think about it. Corpses respond to nothing, least of all to the gospel. Dead people don't respond to the gospel. We are dead in our sins, Paul says. And then in verse 2, he says, we're not only dead to sin, but we are dominated. We, in verse 2, we walked under the authority of the ruler of the air. And in verse 3, we live in the passions of our flesh. And so we are dead in the trespasses of our sin. We are dominated by our sin. We're dominated by Satan. And even more, Paul says in verse 3, we are damned. Every one of us here, we are damned in verse 3. We are by nature, he says, children of wrath. That is the judgment of God. His wrath hangs over us the moment we are born. Post all that to your profile page. Because that's who we are. So that's our bio from birth. You might think of it this way. We, we are lifeless. We are helpless. And most of all, we are hope, hopeless. Lifeless, helpless, and hopeless. But then Paul writes these words of hope in verses 4 and 5. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so here's the point. If you want to change your profile, if you want to change your bio, there's only one way to do that. We must humble ourselves and turn to the one who can change it. And that is turn to God. For only God can change your bio from the fool in Psalm 14 to the generation of the righteous who's been redeemed by Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ is the answer to the folly of the fool. In other words, Jesus is the answer to my foolishness. He's the only answer. Jesus is the answer to your foolishness the moment you were born. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, Jesus Christ became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so when we were foolish enough to say there is no God, Listen to me, in his grace, in God's grace, he reached out to us and he gave us his son to make us wise, alive together with Christ. But you will not be ready to change your profile. You will not be ready to change your bio and welcome Jesus as your savior until you come to that point in your life where, where you are willing to humbly admit your sin. And you, in a sense, you feel the weight of God's judgment on your life that hangs over you. And it's only then will you be ready to pray what David prays here. Oh, that salvation would come. And you make it your prayer. You personalize it. Oh, that God, your salvation would come to me and save me from my foolishness and the sin of my life. And you would redeem me and make me a part of this group that is the generation of the righteous. 
Only then will you be ready to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, wash away my sin and save me. Make me a part of the generation of the righteous in Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed. Perhaps God is speaking to you this morning. And perhaps you're ready to change your bio, your profile, and receive Jesus as your Savior. Man, if that's your heart's desire, then, then I, man, I just encourage you, I exhort you to turn to Jesus even now, right where you're seated. Right there in the pew, just in your own heart and mind, admit your sin. And pray by faith and ask him to forgive you and save you, trusting in him alone to make you a part of the generation of the righteous. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word here in Psalm 14. Help us to see that we are all fools apart from you. And Father, would you give us the grace to see that you have sent salvation in Jesus Christ. And give us the grace in the faith to turn to him as our sovereign Savior and King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.